uh, Adam, what, what are we doing? We can't record like this. This is going to be like talking lefty. I think it's fine. You know, we brought the plants inside because it's supposed to get really cold tonight. And I decided I would take the window seat. Wow, I feel really, really out of sync, but we'll see how this goes. Lafayette, it's Coronapod. I'm Matt. And I'm Adam. In different in different seats today. This is normally like your vantage point. I, I'm really weirded out by this. I don't know what to do about it. I don't like it either. I don't like I think we gotta we, we gotta switch back. Alright. Alright, all right. I'm back in the blue Woo. chair, you're in the orange wow. chair. Oh my god, oh. I feel thank you for warming the seat for me. I, I feel a lot better. Oh my god. Okay, now let's get to the show. Adam. Rainy Friday night. Uh, big update on our end. I was supposed to depart New York tomorrow. Had, well, I, I hadn't got it all packed up. Uh, Dana had got it all packed up. I had delayed unpacking, which it turns out was a brilliant move because the winds in Nantucket are very high and the ferries are getting canceled. And uh, so we are here for another week to enjoy listening to your hiccups. Love it. Happy to have you. Um... I was worried that you'd be like, well, fuck, if we can't go to Nantucket, we can still go to New Jersey, but, you know, I'm hoping, I'm praying. That we go to New Jersey or that we... That you stay. <laughs> one, one more week, one more week, and then uh, we'll see, we'll see, but yeah, a little disappointing because uh, we did basically pack a lot of stuff, uh, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Island living. Island living. It's like really, de- I gotta say, I was very depressed today though. You know, I was incredibly unproductive at work, which depressed me. And it was just gray and gross and unpleasant. Like, I, I had one of those days at work where I got nothing done. And that really bumped me out. I still got the hiccups here. I, um, eh, I don't know. I'm glad it's Friday. I'm glad it's the weekend. So, um, maybe I'm just secretly, not even secretly. Secretly, maybe I'm just super happy because, you know, I don't have to deal with the reality of it just being Catherine Momo and myself, so. Yeah, I guess that is uh, kind of kind of exciting. So what, what plans do you have for the weekend? Well, my bread today did not turn out well, so probably going to troubleshoot that. We're almost out of ice cream, so i got to make some new ice cream. And a lot of reading, I think. Um, yeah, probably that's about it. What are you reading these days? You just finished Pachinko. I'm reading The Coldest Winter. It's a book about the Korean War. By David Halberstam. Yeah. You know, uh, it's very... I remember when that book came out, and David Halberstam actually died in a car crash. Yes, it says on the back of the book. Right before it came out. And a bunch of his friends, uh, who were also history writers, went on the book tour on his behalf. For The Coldest Winter. For The Coldest Winter. Ah, well, interesting. folks, I'm 20 pages in, and I already can realize that the biography I read of Douglas MacArthur was the most hagiographic of hagiographies, <laughs> so I'm learning, I'm learning something. All right, should we go to our guest today? I think we should give our guest a call. Yeah, I, Maya. we are about to learn about something absolutely nuts. Hello. 
Hey, Maya, it's Matt and Adam from Coronapod. Hey, Matt and Adam. How's it going on this rainy Friday night? Well, you're in D.C., so I don't know if it's rainy down there. It actually has been raining today. I don't know if it's still raining now because I haven't been outside all day. But, uh, you know, it's cold enough, so it doesn't matter. Mm. So, Maya, we're happy to talk about whatever you want to chat about, but... Well, there's something I have been trying to learn about, but the topic is actually hard to learn about because a lot of companies have been very aggressive about taking down the actual item we want to discuss. Can you, if, if that makes sense, I don't know if that clues in any of our listeners, but do you want to let our listeners know what, what we're talking about? That makes sense. Have you not seen the pandemic? Well, I found out about it only after the pandemic documentary. Late. We the boat. Yeah, the documentary has been taken down everywhere. We're going to have to go on the dark web. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Destroy your computer or something. So, so Maya, you know, we, we know that you know a lot about this and all the misinformation surrounding it. And so before the show, we were Googling pandemic and trying to figure out what is it that pandemic says. And... All we could really get was a bunch of stuff saying, don't believe anything Plandemic says. And so I know that it's got something to do with Fauci's profiting. Masks are going to make you sick. If you put your head in the sand, you'll be immune from coronavirus, literally. Potentially a heroic whistleblower. <laughs> All kinds of crazy stuff. All you have but to what? Do is literally stick your head in the sand. But what? So, what is for our listeners who. Uh, many of whom I think are not spending a lot of time on Twitter uh, because they are octogenarians. Um, or just rational. Or just rational. What is pandemic? Okay, so to start off, the usual caveat, I speak for myself, no one else, yada yada. Um, I don't know why people always write on Twitter, like, this is not an endorsement. I'm like, who would even want my endorsement? Um, but, you know, just to put it out there, this is just me, myself, and I. Um, so the pandemic is a video that was put out by someone who calls herself a whistleblower. Um, and it basically, like, it discloses, I don't even know how to say it, like, runs out there and tells the truth, supposedly, about the risks of a flu vaccine, of masks, of, like, you know, the truth behind the coronavirus, um, which, you know, in addition to apparently um, being made by some Chinese lab, is also, like, this plot, and Dr. Fauci is just a liar who retaliated against her, inspired her, and now she's, like, being hounded by justice, and wants to make sure everyone knows the truth to not wear masks because it's apparently dangerous. And so instead, you should, I kid you not, stick your head in the sand. Literally. <laughs> and so that's the video. And it blew up, like, I think in the last day or two. Um, literally, someone at work was like, Have you seen this? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> And, and and was it blowing up because people, you know, we, Adam and I uh, here at Coronapod, we, we have our heads in the sand, but in a more figurative sense. Um, it, was it blowing up because people were like, oh my God, this is true. Or because people were like, this is so crazy, it's almost entertaining. I think it was actually blowing up because people thought it was true. Like, I think then, you know, starts this 
not quite backlash, but then starts, you know, people trying to fact check it and write about it, and then, you know, it starts getting taken down, but I actually think it started blowing up because it was true, and I think, like, a lot of disinformation, it worked with the kind of this alternative narrative that was starting to take hold and has been starting to take hold. Um, and she apparently is someone who is, to some extent, well-known among alternative circles, uh, which I think in this case is code for far-right racists and uh, fringe anti-vax murderers. But that's just my personal opinion. So I'm curious, I know in, in your work, sometimes you, you touch on whistleblowing. And I, I'm interested from a kind of how people think about whistleblowers because most of the time in the more conservative side of things whistleblower is used as kind of a, a negative term right as saying like yeah they're not a whistleblower they're just part of the deep state trying to take trump down or something but here this person you know might be saying that they are a whistleblower in kind of a more positive way like how do you have, have you thought about this is this kind of like par for the course, actually, that there really is no, you know, whistleblower good or bad? Yeah, so I've basically been uh, reading every article I could see as soon as I found out about this thing. Um, so I used to work in whistleblower advocacy, um, and I've since now joined another organization and do a variety of other things. Um, but this is something we thought about a lot. Like, what... So the question is really, like, what... How do people think about whistleblowers? And that's changed really recently. So just so you know, you know, I think in the time before Trump, in some sort of like 2014 and prior, um, actually it, there tended to be a lot of support um, bipartisan for whistleblowers. But yes, they were often characterized as you know rats and the people who kind of like tattletale. Um, and you know now it's now it's taken on a whole new meaning. Um, and it becomes really a problem because what happens is that people don't want to speak up, even though, like, we as a society actually really want them to. Um, and the really interesting thing for me about this case, um, is that it's not actually... So it brings up a lot of questions. So one is, like, how we think about whistleblowers, you know, do we value them, do we punish them, and the truth is, like, overwhelmingly whistleblowers are punished, it destroys careers and families and finances and lives, um, and that's its own one huge problem. Um, and the second thing is, you know, how do we decide which whistleblowers get credit for, you know, how do we, how do we decide if we have faith in the whistleblower story? Um, and, you know, it's interesting because as like a whistleblower advocate to a lot of for a lot of time, you say, well, you know, you want to give credit to the facts, and you actually don't want to focus on someone's background. Um, and in this case, actually, oh, the background really matters, because she's claiming to be a whistleblower on the basis of, like, she got arrested in the past, and the question is why, and was that a conspiracy to frame her? Um, and, you know, as someone who really values whistleblower advocacy and considers that a really, really important part of, you know, how we do good governance and how we... Uh, create like a functional society that works um, and a governance system that works and, and companies that you know do not harm human beings um, that's a, that can be problematic because we don't really want to undercut somebody legitimately blowing the whistle just because they have some you know possibly shady stuff in their past on the other hand uh, there's a reason you 
guys couldn't find this video, and it's because Facebook and Twitter and, you know, all the other sites that have video on them took it down, um, in part because actually that mask claim that you identified at the beginning, um, which is she claims that masks are harmful, and um, I think a lot of these websites rightly concluded that that, in fact, is harm in this particular crisis because you're telling people not to wear masks, you're telling them not to get a vaccine if and when we have a vaccine. So that's really can cause physical harm. Um, and so that's why it was taken down. So it's kind of all these intersecting issues that we know a lot in the whistleblower community already and then come to a head in this, like, really viral uh, thing that's happening right now. And, and I'm, I'm curious, you touched on this a little bit, but I want to talk for a moment about how all of this intersects with the state of the media. Obviously, whistleblowers, seemingly more often than not, uh, play out in the public sphere through the media, and, and all of this is playing out through really the big tech platforms, Twitter, Facebook, etc. You know, Twitter initially said that the video hadn't actually violated the company's misinformation policy. It took a long, it took, you know, a relatively long time for the video to be taken down. Um, and, you know, it keeps getting re-uploaded too by, by users. Uh-huh. And you know, Neiman Lab referred to what the platforms have done on this as a Band-Aid over a massive wound. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how do you think platforms, what's their responsibility with misinformation like this and, um, and and what do they need to do differently? Yeah, that's a really tough question. You know, uh, there's this huge tension in this country on, you know, where we value truth, uh, where we value truthful information and where we value um, freedom of speech, right? And that's how it's usually framed. Um, and we saw that come to a head in the 2016 election where there's a lot of disinformation out there. We already saw in the current election cycle um, with different videos going out that are clearly fake. Um, and these social media websites, for the most part, have had a really tough time figuring out when to leave something up, when to take it down, how to do that in a consistent way, in a culturally appropriate way in a, you know, in a fair way, um, also in a way, frankly, that, like, works for their advertisement and their business model, um, and I think, like, I, I don't think I've seen a case where it's happened really cleanly and quickly, and so what happens here is that, you know, the, uh, the websites, uh, like, Twitter and Facebook, they waited, and in the meantime, this blew up, and then everyone knows about it, and this is the other thing with disinformation, you know, then there's all these articles about how you shouldn't believe it, right, but that means we're talking about it more, and how much are we then giving her more of a platform to say things that, you know, literally stick your head in the sand, like, how could, how could someone say that with a straight face, the, the solution to our current pandemic is to literally stick your head in the sand um but that's blown up and we know that a lot of people are are really paying attention to it and consider it to be you know potentially truth and potentially valuable and we've seen like real harms caused by that um i would you know fly to this other interesting fact which is you know we've seen this the anti-vax community the anti-vaccine community um take a larger and larger role in um 
in protest against uh, shutdowns as a response to the pandemic. And, you know, I think that that's a, that's a strain of disinformation that social media sites have had a particularly tough time dealing with. Um, and I have really seen a spread through social media. We've seen actually some cases of real harm coming from, you know, people purporting to give medical advice, um, cautioning uh, new mothers, for example, to not give their babies vaccines, and then seeing some real harm come out of that um, to really innocent people. Um, so it's really a confluence of, of a bunch of things that we already know we don't have a good handle on as a society, uh, whether that's you know the companies themselves or uh, the way that we regulate them or the way that we you know create norms and boundaries in terms of what's acceptable and what's not, and. You know, and then you come back to the fact that the media has really made this thing more accessible and blown up. And and at what point do you say, you know, we should not be talking about this in fact, or we should make it clear that this exists, but talk more about the solutions and the right things to do. Um, but, you know, it's way more fun to talk about how crazy this video was. Uh, but, you know, also, just a fun fact, for the record, apparently the person that produced this video is also going around and doing a bunch of other kind of disinformation videos about other hot topics. So, you know, they're also, they've got their brand, they're doing it, and they're doing it successfully. So that's also not a good sign. So w- one final question for you. Do you think this is going to affect how actual whistleblowers might approach their situation. So there have been a lot of reports of contracts going to politically connected people, um, the focus being put on politically connected drugs instead of what might actually be working. Do you think there are people in government right now who could be whistleblowers but are rethinking their approach given what's happening? No. I think that this is the kind of insane TikTok-esque cherry on top of the last three years in which whistleblowers have really been discouraged and shut up and retaliated against, especially in government, in a way that's really never before seen and really unfortunate. Um... And I think that this would not be the case, um, probably. I am worried of people starting to really label this woman a whistleblower, and I'm particularly concerned with how we discuss the issue. Um, but I think a, a different case I'd point you to is, you know, there was another scientist, I think at one of at the, at the same um, Dr. Fauci Institute or whatever, um, who also came out and, and was demoted, actually. Um, and I think that is probably the case that is going to that's going to discourage people and going to remind people who know that something wrong is happening, whether that's corruption or bribery or um, or you know really kind of like scary levels of of uh, you know fraud um, in in government and companies and that want to come forward. That's the kind of stuff that's really going to discourage those people that would want to be able to speak truth to power from doing so um, because they'll see the real harm that can come to an honest whistleblower's career and their lives and their livelihood and we're seeing, you know, the last few years we've really seen whistleblowers um, be completely tarred and feathered online um, 
go through very scary situations, have their families' um, information put online, death threats, etc. And I think that's the real risk, is that has become normalized. Um, and I don't really know a good solution to it, but I really do think it's it's starting to rot and corrupt and and really weaken systematically and systemic, systemically, I mean, um, the way that we have protections in our government and in companies and all these laws that we've set up to try to actually help are starting to get weaker and weaker permanently. So that's where I stand. Well, that, that, that answer started off positive saying that this wouldn't have any negative consequence, but then you shifted to tell us how, you know, uh, everything's going downhill. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And, uh, you know, if some big new story breaks about a actual set of claims that are real from a whistleblower, uh, we know who to talk to. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Maya. Bye. You know, I wonder, so Maya works on, on whistleblowers. I wonder, like, it's got to be crazy because she spends her life dedicated to thinking about whistleblowers, but probably because she doesn't work in government, is never going to herself be a whistleblower. Well, from, from what she said, it sounds like it's, uh, it's a tough, uh, tough situation to be a whistleblower in that it doesn't work out well for most of them. But if you're a whistleblower and you're listening... Listen to your conscience. It's the right thing to do. This has been Corona Pod. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay healthy. Corona Pod is brought to you by Momo the Cat. Follow her at Momo underscore is underscore a underscore cat.